Well, today really is the Super Bowl, so let me just ask today, how many of you tonight are for the 49ers? Raise your hand. All right. How, how many for Kansas City? Raise your hand. How many for Taylor Swift? Raise your hand. That may be the most important part of that game. You know, it should be a great game tonight. Two great teams, not my two favorite teams necessarily, but two great teams and it would just be a great game. But there's something about the Super Bowl when it rolls around every year. For those of us who are football fans, it's just nostalgic and it takes us down memory lane to great Super Bowls of yesterday. And not only Super Bowls, but great games of yesterday. And one of the greatest NFL games that was ever played was played over 36 years ago. It was played on January the 17th, 1988. If you are my age or close to my age and up, you undoubtedly remember the game, you saw the game, you could never forget the game. If you're younger than me, you may have only seen it on the highlights and you probably didn't get to see the game live. It was the AFC Championship game. It was played between the Cleveland Browns and the Denver Broncos at the old Mile High Stadium. John Elway was the quarterback of the Broncos, Bernie Kosar, the quarterback of the Browns, and it was a dandy game. The Broncos got off to a great start, got a huge lead. Everybody thought, man, they're gonna just run the Browns out of Mile High Stadium, but slowly and deliberately, the, the Browns mounted quite a comeback, and with four minutes left in the game, they scored a touchdown that tied the game 31 to 31. If you remember John Elway back in the day, he could take his team though down the field in a hurry, very much like Patrick Mahomes can. And he led the Broncos down to score. And now the Broncos are up 38 to 31. They kick off to the Browns and the Browns are driving down the field, trying to get in the end zone, tie the game at 38 and send it into overtime. Remember AFC championship, the winner of the game goes to the Super Bowl. So if you remember the game, you remember that it was second and five on the Broncos eight yard line. There was one minute and 12 seconds left in the game. Bernie Kosar takes a snap from center, hands off to the great Ernest Biner, one of the greatest running backs in NFL history. And Biner cuts left. He easily picks up the five yards. Had he just fallen down, it would have been a first and goal with a minute to go. They probably could have easily scored, but he saw daylight and he said, man, it's not enough to get the first down. I'm going for the end zone. We're gonna tie this game. And he cut back this way when Jeremiah Castile of the Broncos knocked the ball loose, Biner fumbled the ball, the Broncos recovered the ball, ended up winning the game, going on to the Super Bowl. Now, that fumble was so significant was so captivating that not only was that play known as the fumble, but in the months and years and decades that have followed, the game itself has been known as the fumble. You can go home today on your computer, on your phone, and you can just Google the fumble game, and that's the game. The 1987 AFC Championship played in January of 1988 when Ernest Biner fumbled the ball, and that fumble quite possibly cost the Browns a trip to the Super Bowl. Now, as I have thought about his fumble, and I think about the fact that Fumbles are a part of the game of football. In last year's game, we saw the Philadelphia Eagles fumble the ball at a critical time. Kansas City got it. Momentum changed. And the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year in large part because of a fumble. So in the game of football, sometimes fumbles happen. We know that. But what we don't always remember is this. In the game of life, sometimes fumbles happen too. 
Sometimes in life, we have the ball and we're moving in the direction that God wants us to go and we turn left when we should have turned right or we're careless with the ball and we get hit from the side and the ball comes out and we fumble and we mess up and we sin and we think, oh my, will I ever be able to recover from this fumble in my life? Is there any chance that I can win the game after this horrible mistake that I have made. Well, that said, if you'll open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter number 26. This is a familiar passage of scripture. Simon Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus, not only one of the 12 disciples, but in the inner circle with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. He was Jesus' right-hand man for three years. And Peter loved Jesus with all of his heart. And yet on the night that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're talking now about 12 to 14 hours, maybe 15 hours from the cross on Friday morning. As Jesus has been arrested, taken from the Garden of Gethsemane, back across Jerusalem to the southwestern part there, across the Kidron Valley to the high priest's house. And once there, Peter denies that he knows Jesus. Now, this is familiar scripture, but I want us to look at it nonetheless. Matthew chapter 26 and look beginning in verse number 69. Now, Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. Peter just fumbled the ball. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. Fumble number two. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Simon Peter and the disciples were from Northern Israel. They had a different accent, a different dialect than those down South. And in verse 74, it says, then he began to curse and swear saying, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. And so on this Thursday night in the high priest courtyard there in Jerusalem, Peter fumbled the ball. He denied knowing Jesus. Think about this. If Jesus ever needed any of his followers, any of his friends to stand by his side and say, you better believe I know him. He's my friend. He's my savior. He's my Lord. He's my master. If he goes down, I go down with him. I'm with Jesus. I vouch for him. If Jesus needed, ever needed that, he needed it on this night. But what did Peter do? When the game was on the line, when everybody was watching, when it mattered most, he fumbled the ball. And not only did he fumble, but think about this. Peter did something he thought he would never do. He, fumbled, he made a fumble that he never thought he would make. Look back in verse number 33, or 34, rather, of this same chapter. Jesus said to Peter, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Peter said, Jesus, there's no way I'm going to deny you. I'm st we're, going, we're together through thick and thin. I will never deny you. And yet that is exactly what he did. Now, as we think about Peter's fumble, his sin, we think about our sins. 
And we think about sometimes in our lives when we have done the thing that we said we would never do, or maybe we've done the thing we said we would never do again. Man, I can't believe I did that. Can't believe I said that. Can't believe I acted that way. I have fumbled the ball. There are two things about fumbles. It's true in football and it's true in life that I want us to think about today. First, before most fumbles, there's a failure of some kind. There is in football. Before, that's not always true. Sometimes the back's just running the ball and he gets hit. He's protecting the ball well. He didn't do anything wrong. The ball just popped out. But most of the time, when there's a fumble, it's because... Maybe the running back or the receiver was carrying the ball like a loaf of bread. Maybe carrying it like a chicken wing out here. It's just easy for the defender to come along and knock that ball out. And it's true in life. Most of the, not all the time. Sometimes we get out there in life and we just mess up on the spot. But more often than not, there is a failure of some kind before we fumble the football, before we mess up. The failure is normally something that takes place in private. Nobody really knows about it. You may not even be conscious of it yourself, but there's something that's going on in in private that you have done or failed to do, and that leads many times to a fumble. For example, I think sometimes we have a faith failure. In other words, instead of trusting God and walking by faith like we should, sometimes we become anxious or doubtful or worried or fearful or afraid, and and we begin to question and analyze, is God really going to meet this need? Is God really gonna come through for me? Is God really, and we kind of are like a boxer on the ropes and the devil is our opponent and he's got us in the corner and we're, 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 we've lost our spiritual equilibrium and it's easy for the devil just to come in and, and give us a knockout blow because he had us kind of tottering anyway and uh, not as strong as we should be. Sometimes there's just a faith failure and that faith failure leads us to, to doing something that causes us to fumble the ball. Sometimes there's a forgiveness failure. Maybe you've had an, a situation where you got in a conversation with somebody, I'm sure you have, and you were rude to them. Maybe you raised your voice at them. Maybe you pointed your finger at them. Maybe you said something condescending to them. You just told them off and you told them what you think. And you say, man, I fumbled the ball. Maybe you even used profanity and really just lost your temper and did something and you say, man, I fumbled the ball. Well, you did fumble. If you do that, you fumble the ball. But I think when we fumble the ball, it's healthy not just to say, I fumbled the ball, I'm sorry, I fumbled the ball. We need to do that. But we also need to trace it back and say, was there a failure of some kind in private, in my own life, that led me to fumble the ball in public. Sometimes it's a forgiveness failure. The reason many times that you would tell somebody off or you know, put somebody in their place or tell them what you really think and, and how wrong they are and how right you are is because maybe they did something in the past and it offended you. It rubbed you the wrong way. And instead of forgiving them, you just nurse that grudge and it's just been simmering on the inside. It's just been simmering. That steam has just been simmering. And instead of dealing with that, you just came over here and you let it all out. It's kind of like if you ever cook a, micro, uh, a hot dog in the microwave. Have you ever done that? And you know that if you put that hot dog in that microwave and you, and you punch like two minutes for that hot dog, if you haven't poked some holes in that hot dog, you're gonna have an explosion in that microwave, right? Because when that hot dog heats up, that steam, it's gotta be released. It's gotta go somewhere. If you poke some holes, it won't do that. It'll be just fine. But in life, it's like that. Sometimes we just got, we have steam 
And instead of dealing with it and forgiving the person and refusing to hold a grudge and let it flow, flow off of our back like water off a duck's back, which I know is easier said than done, but it's still the right thing to do, we hold on to it. And then out here somewhere, we fumble the ball. Sometimes there's a failure of another kind. It's what I would call a wisdom failure. You know, many times in our day, you hear about people having a moral failure. They had an affair or they, they, they cheated on their spouse or they were, they'd committed some act of sexual immorality and it's a moral failure. Well, that's, that's the failure. That's the fumble. But if you trace it back, many times the reason that happened is because back over here, they failed and any of us could do this, but there was a failure to express wisdom. So somebody's working in an office with somebody and this person's married to somebody else and this person's married to somebody else, but at work, their spouses aren't there. It's just the two of them. And this one kind of feels a little chemistry with this one. And this one kind of feels a little chemistry with this one. And so they start meeting in the, in the break room and it's just, it seems innocent. It seems like nothing's happening. And, and, and the, one day the man says to the lady, hey, would you like to go to lunch today? And she says, well, I don't, I don't, I, well, why don't we got to eat? Why don't, why don't we just go eat lunch together? And so he talks her into going and they go have lunch. And, and over lunch, they start out talking about the business and the work and all this, but the meal goes on. Now it's more personal. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? We're feeling a little connection, a little chemistry. Now here's the question. Is there anything wrong with having a conversation with somebody in the break room? No. Is there anything wrong Sinful in and of itself, having lunch in a setting like that? That's a questionable question. Maybe, maybe. I wouldn't probably feel comfortable doing that unless, I mean, I just, that'd be a very, I'd probably feel very uncomfortable in a setting like that. But I'm saying, strictly speaking, in and of itself, there's no sin that's been committed there. But I heard a pastor say years ago, he said, you know, many times as Christians, we get ourselves in trouble because we ask the wrong question. Here's the question we ask, is it sinful? And if we say, no, it's not sinful, then we just think we can do it. He said, the most important question is not to ask, is it sinful? The most important question to ask is, is it wise? Is it wise? And when we compromise wisdom and do things that are not wise, now again, I understand in the business world, uh, people, you get in situations sometimes, but I'm saying you have to be very, very, very careful in settings like that because if you get in situations where you're, you're not displaying great wisdom, it's so much easier to get out here and fumble the ball and actually to commit the sin. But the fumble that took place here was caused by the failure to use wisdom here and to use discretion and to use caution. I was listening to a pastor preach the other night, a wonderful sermon called Guardrails. And uh, he was talking about what I'm talking about, having guardrails and boundaries in our lives. And he's acknowledging sometimes there is an ox in the ditch. Sometimes there is an emergency. And sometimes he's, he's acknowledging all that. But I had heard this same pastor say years ago that there was a family who had visited his church. And he had called them and was trying to welcome them to the church. And, and they said, Pastor, we'd like to just visit with you and have a conversation. And they were trying to set up a time to meet and everybody's schedules were kind of crazy. And for whatever reason, they couldn't just come to the office like for a normal type meeting like that. And so they said, could you ever meet us for breakfast? Just meet my wife and me for breakfast one day. Well, the pastor thought, well, that'd be a little different, but I guess I can do that. And so they met, and on the day of the breakfast, the pastor gets to where they're gonna have the meal. And when he gets there, the wife was there, but the husband wasn't there. And so he's thinking, what am I supposed to do now? 
I just can't, I, I, I'm a married man. I can't be having lunch with another man. Well, I don't even know these people. And so he didn't know what to do. So he called his wife, which was the smartest thing to do, right? And he explained this situation to his wife and he was kind of freaking out. He said, I just don't know what to do. And she said, listen, it's, the ox is in the ditch. It's an unusual situation. You're not doing anything behind my back. I know what's happening. Go ahead and have breakfast with that lady and don't, don't worry about it. So he, he kind of covered it that way. But the point is, in settings like that, you have to be so careful that you're not doing something unwise that could out there somewhere lead to a fumble of some kind. And a lot of people could be hurt by that. Sometimes though, it's a priority failure. You sin because there's some kind, you, you, have, you have failed to have the right priorities. Now, look in, you're in chapter 26, look in verse number 57, because here we see Peter. For the first time in his three years of following Jesus, he does something here before he denied Jesus that he had never done before. And here's what it is. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Look in verse 58. But Peter followed Jesus at a distance. First time in his life this had happened. Up until this point, when Jesus took a step, Peter was right behind him. But now, Peter's thinking, man, they've arrested Jesus. They're talking about killing Jesus. If they do that to him, I don't have a chance. What would they do to me? And he let some distance come between him and Jesus. See, that was his failure before the fumble. Sometimes we have that same thing, whether it's a, fail, a, a failure to trust God, a failure to forgive somebody, a failure to use common sense wisdom, guardrails, caution, knowing sometimes things come up and we, we try to do the best we can in those situations, but being extremely careful. Sometimes though, it's a priority failure. It's just that we have allowed something in our life to take the place of God, to become more important to us than God. We're reading our Bible a little bit less than we used to. We're praying a little bit less than we used to. We're going to church a little less frequently. We're not, it wasn't that we made that determination. That's what, we, it's, just, it's just what happened. You know, I mentioned the Super Bowl and we're all, you know, excited the Super Bowl Sunday. But you know, for some people, like tonight, the, the, the two teams are gonna play and I'm gonna probably watch most of that game. But when, when it's over with, I really don't care. Like, I read yesterday the, the, the players on the winning team get $164,000 if they win the game. The players on the losing team get $89,000 if they win the game. But you know the bottom line for me? I don't get a cut out of either of those checks. I mean, it's not gonna affect me. I, good for them, win or lose, really. But it's not gonna affect me. But there's some people, I mean, did you hear like the average ticket to this game tonight is $8,000. Eight thousand, that's like the worst seat in the building. If you want a suite, it's like two or, you know, bad suites, one million, good suites, two and a half million dollars for a suite. Now, if you've got that surplus, more power to you. But there's some people that, I, and I'm a sports fan, so I feel like I can, I'm in a position to say this. There, if you're not careful with sports, that can become like one step short of idolatry in your own life. And instead of worshiping at the house of God, you're worshiping at the football stadium or tonight out in Vegas and doing that. But just a priority failure. And it can cause us to commit a fumble out there in the future. So the first thing, I'm, just the point I'm trying to make, before most fumbles, there's a failure of some kind. And when we have failed and sinned and fumbled, we need to say, okay, God, now that's what I did. But what led to that? What did I do or fail to do back here in private 
that led to this in public. Now, the second thought I have is much quicker than the first, but it's even better than the first. And that is this, after every fumble, forgiveness is available. And with that forgiveness, there's a second chance. This is what Simon Peter found out after he committed. It would have been easy to, you know, for Jesus just to have said, hey, Peter, look, I love you. There's no question we love each other. But man, if I ever needed you, I needed you on that Thursday night. You fumbled, not once, not twice, you three times. Come on, man, you denied knowing me three times. But after the resurrection, what did Jesus do? Jesus went out of his way to go to Simon Peter and upon Peter's confession and repentance to forgive Simon Peter of that sin. And not only did he forgive him, he restored him to the ministry and he got him back there to preaching. And just a few weeks after that, after Jesus had returned to heaven, where is Simon Peter? 10 days after the ascension, he is in Jerusalem. He's preaching the first sermon of the church on the day of Pentecost. He's talking about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And while he's preaching that sermon, he's thinking about not just for your sins, my sins too. It wasn't many weeks ago that I denied even knowing him, but he has forgiven me and he's changed me and he's given me a second chance. And he's preaching that sermon there in Jerusalem with that type of passion. And he gave the invitation and 3,000 people got saved. It was a beautiful thing. And it says that God, no matter why we fumbled or what the fumble was, forgiveness is always available. And with that forgiveness, there's a second chance. I mentioned Ernest Biner at the beginning. His is an interesting story. After that fumble, he played for one more year with the Browns and they didn't go to the Super Bowl that next year either. The Browns traded him to the Washington Redskins. So now the player who fumbled has been traded to the Redskins. Aren't you glad when we fumble, God doesn't trade us and cut us and, 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 and be done with us? Man, I am. Because I need his forgiveness every week. Sometimes I need it every day. So Ernest Biner now is with the Redskins. In 1991, he won a Super Bowl ring with the Redskins. He went on to become an assistant coach for the Baltimore Ravens in 2000. He won a Super Bowl ring with the Baltimore Ravens. You see, what do we learn from Ernest Biner? Same thing we learned from Simon Peter. Both of these men fumbled the ball. But you listen, say amen. amen. But after they fumbled, they didn't quit playing the game. They didn't just give up. See, God didn't give up on them and they didn't give up on themselves. They accepted that forgiveness. They received that forgiveness. They moved on to what God had next for them. And to me, it's a happy ending and it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Now, let me shift the gear as I prepare to close here today. By the way, I mean, I want to thank again, I know Chris said it at the beginning, everybody for inviting friends today. And for those of you who are visiting with us today, we are so glad you're here. I think there are three things that people were excited about today. First and foremost, everybody's excited about having Adam Crabb here. And that's very special for us. Secondly, everybody's excited 21,600 donut holes are in the commons today. Please, if they're still out there when you go out, grab a bunch of them for the game tonight. We don't want all those donut holes. So there are plenty of donuts. They're in little packages of six. Get as many as you want. But you know, I think the thing that people were most excited about as we prepared for this day is that I promised to preach a short sermon. And people just so excited. So I'm gonna keep my promise, but I wanna close with this story. I've been talking about sports. I wanna shift gears to the world of entertainment. One of my favorite actors, probably one of yours, 
we're in Texas. Even if we weren't, he's a great actor. But Matthew McConaughey is one of the greatest actors in, in, in the nation. If you know anything about Matthew McConaughey's story, and I do, big University of Texas fan, big, uh, he's, a, he's a devout Christian. He and I are the, are the same age. We're both 35 years old. And uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, Lord, I'm just kidding. But if you know about his story, you know he's a Christian. He and his family go to a non-denominational church in Austin. I'm not actually sure what the church is, but he's faithful there every week. He says when he comes into the service, he sits down like you're sitting today and he says to himself, I hope the pastor has something for me today because I'm gonna take what he says, listen to it, apply it to my life and try to live it out this week. That's Matthew McConaughey. Somewhere, and I'm not sure where, in his faith journey, before he came to know the Lord, I read this article just a few days ago, and I, had, I didn't know this about him. He was searching. He was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He knew that he had sinned. He knew he needed forgiveness. He believed in God, but he wasn't sure, how do you go about getting right with God? How do you have your sins forgiven? I don't know if he even knew the word saved, but that's what he was wondering. How can you be saved? How can you go to heaven when you die? He was searching. And the Bible says, God said, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And Matthew McConaughey, while we were watching him on the big screen, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days with Kate Hudson and some of those great movies. Matthew McConaughey was seeking God. And in his search... He traveled from Austin to New Mexico for the purpose of visiting a monastery and meeting with a monk. And he thought to himself, who on the planet is more dedicated than a monk? They've taken the vow of, I mean, they've taken so many vows. I mean, they've taken the vow not to do anything really and just live in that monastery and pray and read the Bible. If anybody can point me to God, and help me have peace in my heart and forgiveness of my sins. It's a monk. So he goes to New Mexico. He enters a monastery. He goes to a private room with a monk that had been assigned to him. Now, you know, monks are men of few words, right? For four hours, Matthew McConaughey tells this monk every sin he's ever committed that he can think of. He is pouring out his heart. He is under deep conviction and he's just pouring his soul out and with his own testimony, he says, I was, cry I was sobbing unconditionally, not just out of my eyes, but out of my nose. We've all had this experience. He just confessing everything to this monk and, and, and the monk never interrupted. He's just listening. And at the end of the four-hour confession, when it became obvious to the monk that McConaughey had confessed everything he knew to confess. After a few moments of silence, McConaughey wondering, I mean, what's this monk think of me after all I've just told him? And he's a holy man. I mean, what's he think of me? The monk looked Matthew McConaughey in the eye, and here's what he said Me too. Me too. I too have sinned. 
Now, what was that monk saying? That monk's been locked up in a monastery. He probably hadn't physically committed maybe all the sins that you could commit if you're outside the monastery, but that monk was saying to Matthew McConaughey, you are not the only sinner in this monastery. You have sinned, I have sinned, we have all sinned, but in our sins, we have found forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. I read that story, I think about this day. I don't know what Matthew McConaughey did. I don't know what the monk did. I don't know what you've done. You don't know what I've done. None of us know what everybody in this room's done. But friend, I know what God has done. God has sent Jesus so that through him, we could experience the forgiveness of sin and the salvation of our souls. In Jesus, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. If you're here today and you say, John, I have fumbled the ball. Last week, (laughs) I did something. I I said I would never do that. You're right, man. There was no wisdom. There was no discretion. There were no guardrails. I failed there. But brother, I got out here because of that failure and I have fumbled the ball and I feel awful about it. Or maybe for you, it was long ago. The same Jesus who forgave Peter, the same Jesus who forgave (laughs) all those disciples, the same God who forgave Moses of murder and David for adultery, that same God will forgive us today. The title of my sermon this morning is Fumbles Don't Have to Be Final. Now they can be final. Judas fumbled. His fumble was final. Judas is in hell today, not because he betrayed Jesus, He's in hell today because he didn't go to Jesus and seek forgiveness. Because had he done that, he would have been forgiven and he would have been saved. His fumble was final because he didn't get up and go to Jesus. Fumbles don't have to be final. And today, if you've come in this service with guilt and shame over something you've done recently or in the, you know, long ago, today, come to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. Receive that forgiveness by faith. And walk out of here today like Matthew McConaughey walked out of that monastery with the weight of the world being lifted off of you. Amen. Father, I thank you today that no matter what sin we've committed, God, after every fumble, forgiveness is available. And so is a second chance. God, I thank you that that you don't cut us or trade us or stop using us. If we'll come to you in repentance and faith, you will forgive us, clean us up, dust us off, and put us back in the game. Now with your head bowed and eyes closed, there were four in the first service today who made peace with God, who made absolutely certain that they were saved, four. And normally in this service, we have more make the decision like that than in that service. So I'm wondering today in this service, who would say, John, I'm like McConaughey in New Mexico with that mind. I need forgiveness. I need to know for sure that I'm saved. You can know if you'll come to Jesus. My job, my primary job as a preacher of the gospel is to lift up Jesus and to take you as it were by the hand and lead you to him. I can't do anything for your sins and you can't do anything for mine. But Jesus can wash all of our sins away. And so I'm just as best as I can today reaching out to your seat and taking you by the hand 
and just trying to, to bring you to Jesus. I'm just like one beggar showing another beggar how to find bread because I have found that in Jesus. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord, I have sinned. I have fumbled the ball. I have messed up. And I'm sorry. Forgive me. Clean me up. Come live in my heart and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Jesus. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be.